is a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. My hope is that this morning we might come to a deeper understanding and appreciation of the beautiful Christian practice that is important to God and essential for His people known as hospitality. Well, with that hope in mind, you follow along as I read a few passages that touch on the importance and beauty of hospitality this morning, beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And in Romans 12, Paul says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In Hebrews 13, we read, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter writes, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is God's word. He gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. Well, it likely comes as no surprise to learn that our current 21st century suburban American culture is experiencing a loneliness epidemic. As we continue to grow increasingly more individualistic and polarized and relate to one another through disembodied technology and social media, this makes complete sense that we would grow more and more lonely. In fact, the loneliness epidemic has caught the attention of health professionals in our society. Recently, I ran across this paragraph from Senator Ben Sass's book entitled Them, where he states, among epidemiologists, psychiatrists, public health officials, and social scientists, there is a growing consensus that the number one health crisis in America right now is not cancer, not obesity, and not heart disease. It's loneliness. And with our nation's aging population, it's only going to get worse. Elderly men are the loneliest demographic group in the United States. Four times more men than women were discovered dead in the wake of the most recent Chicago heat wave. Well, as you consider your own life, I would imagine that you know what it feels like to be lonely and disconnected. We've all experienced the desire for deeper connection, the longing to be included, the hope that another person might want to know us. And on top of the loneliness and disconnection that we felt and can't seem to shake, you might call that passive in nature. It's something that happens to us in many ways. We've also experienced active loneliness through our enmity and hatred toward those who aren't like us, who we might call the outsider. And we all have outsiders in our life, and sometimes we're the outsiders ourselves. 
They're normally those who look different than us morally or religiously or culturally or politically. People that we have slowly but surely grown to despise or at least distance ourselves from. In this sense of loneliness and disconnection, the experience of enmity and disdain for other people, it's all a result of the fall. Once sin entered the world, one of the first things that you see begin to disintegrate is relationship. Relationship between man and God and relationship between man and man. Connection began to break down and enmity began to slowly but surely fester between people. And it's been our experience ever since in so many ways. The loneliness and disconnection and enmity we feel today, it's not a new problem. It just manifests itself in new ways. I like how Christine Pohl summarizes our current cultural context in her book, Making Room. It's a book on hospitality where she says, We, like the early church, find ourselves in a fragmented and multicultural society that yearns for relationship, identity, and meaning. Our mobile and self-oriented society is characterized by disturbing levels of loneliness, alienation, and estrangement. Well, against a culture that has become increasingly lonely and polarized, and where we look at others that are not like us with suspicion, the principle of hospitality is an important one. It's an important course correction for those who would claim to follow Jesus. And as we consider this important principle in the Christian life this morning, I want us to look at it under three very simple headings. I'd like for us to consider the what of hospitality, the how of hospitality, and the why of hospitality. The what, the how, the why. That's where we're going. Let's jump in by considering the what of hospitality. I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the word hospitality. I think we all recognize that a whole industry has popped up around hospitality. In fact, if you were to Google that word, what would pop up is beautiful, pristine pictures of resorts and amazing cookbook options. You can even earn a degree these days in hospitality management. It certainly is not an unusual word or concept in our current culture. However, if we bring our current cultural conception of hospitality and we read the scriptures through that lens, we will not be getting the complete picture of just how beautiful and holistic hospitality is when the gospel speaks of it. We used to have a magnet on our refrigerator at home that said this, hospitality is making people feel at home even when you wish they were. (laughs) Well, that's not the best definition of hospitality. Definitely not the biblical definition of hospitality. So what does the Bible mean when it uses the word hospitality? Well, anytime you see the English word hospitality in the New Testament, it's normally the translation of a Greek word, philoxenos, which is a compound word meaning the love, Philadelphia, philo, of strangers. It's the opposite of xenophobia or fear of strangers. It's the love of strangers. Hospitality is generous, and it's gracious treatment of guests. A commitment to love those who are different than us, to those who are not insiders. Hospitality is being fond of guests, being fond of those that you don't yet know. It's being given to welcoming strangers. And more than an action, hospitality is really an attitude of the heart. 
It's an attitude of heart that seeks to turn strangers into friends, into guests, maybe even eventually into brothers and sisters in Christ. It's an attitude of heart that goes after new people and makes them feel welcome. Hospitality is a practice given by God to His church through which outsiders are welcomed into God's family. Welcomed into community. If we could use one word as a synonym for hospitality, a good word would be welcome. Welcome. I like how Jean Venier, who was the founder of Assisted Living Homes for Disabled Adults called the Arch Communities, describes the importance of welcome when he says this. Welcome is one of the signs that a community is alive. To invite others to live with us is a sign that we're not afraid, that we have a treasure of truth and peace to share with others, a community which refuses to welcome, whether through fear or weariness or insecurity or a desire to cling to comfort or just because it's fed up with visitors, is dying spiritually. Hospitality is crucial for the Christian church. Welcoming those who are different than us, who we don't know yet, who we might not have anything in common with, is really a picture of the gospel. It's a declaration that we are doing something different. As the church, we are a community unlike anything else on offer in this world. We're a community that welcomes the stranger, that wants to see the outsider become an insider. Hospitality is attractive in this world because it challenges the prevailing notions in our culture of who is in and who is out. By opening our church, by opening our homes, by opening our lives, not only to those who are like us, but to those who are unlike us, we provide a visible picture of the new community that God wants to create through His people. That's what hospitality is. Now, let's turn and consider the how of hospitality. How do we do it? Well, as we think about hospitality as a church, there are some things we need to keep in mind about how to do it and what to expect. As we engage in hospitality, as we seek to welcome the stranger and to offer refreshment to the weary, which is what hospitality is, we need to be prepared to be inconvenienced. Prepare to be inconvenienced. We shouldn't expect for Christian hospitality to be easy because following Jesus rarely is. And you and I aren't given the opportunity or uh, the comfort of approaching hospitality as something that we will do when it's convenient for us. Imagine if you approach the other areas of Christian growth that way for a minute. When it's convenient for me, I'll pray. When it's convenient for me, I'll worship. When it's convenient for me, I'll read the Bible and I'll give of my resources. We would never say that. And just like any other Christian discipline, true hospitality is likely going to be inconvenient. It's going to cost us something. I mean, it'll cost time as we seek to be hospitable with our presence. It'll cost comfort because it is not always comfortable to make room for other people, especially if you don't see eye to eye on certain issues. It'll cost resources as we'll need to provide for our guests in very tangible ways with food and drink. It'll cost emotional bandwidth as we seek to engage and offer words of encouragement and refreshment, actually talking to the person that's in front of us. We also need to prepare to be simple. Hospitality, as the Bible describes it, is very simple. 
as we seek to show hospitality as a church and as individuals, it's important to distinguish hospitality from entertaining. Entertaining, as you know, is more about show. Hospitality is more about real life. Entertaining demands everything be in place in your home where hospitality seeks to live in some ways in the chaos of life. Entertaining, you might say, is depicted well well in Southern Living or Gun and Garden magazine, while hospitality looks much, much less organized and put together. There's an important correlation, in fact, between biblical hospitality and living simply. Living simply makes hospitality more palatable to both guest and host. I mean, think about it for a minute. How comfortable are you at a big, fancy, formal fundraising dinner, the kind with a black tie? If you're comfortable, you got to know that you are in the minority, okay? If you're normal, it is not very comfortable to be at a place like that. We're much more comfortable and welcome in simple places. Welcoming places are comfortable and they're lived in. Life happens there. And so as we seek to show hospitality, one way we'll do that is by being a place of safety, simplicity, a place where people are given space to be themselves, to process, to ask questions, to push back, a place where it's a given that everyone is on a journey, a place of refreshment. And that happens inside the church and also inside our homes, both corporately and individually. As we engage hospitality, we also need to prepare to be known and to know others. One way we can be hospitable is to show interest and concern. That is rare these days. For someone to show interest in me, to be concerned about my well-being. Another simple way to think about this is to be curious. To ask questions. To focus on the other person. And in order to be curious, it requires a certain degree of humility. Allowing the other person to speak. Being okay with them is the center of attention and not yourself. I love how C.S. Lewis talks about humility and curiosity in his book, Mere Christianity, when he says, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. That's what we should expect as we practice hospitality. And it would also, at this point, be worth asking the question, who should we focus our hospitality on? Who should we be looking to welcome into our lives and into the church community? Well, during the ministry of Christ, he touched on this question lots of times, and one such instance is found in Luke chapter 14 where Jesus says this, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What exactly is Jesus getting at in this passage? Well, it's so easy as we think about being hospitable to invite those who are like us. Those who have influence in this world. Those who have something to offer. Those who we might be honored to host because of what it says about us that they're in our home. But Jesus reminds us that is not real hospitality. That's selfishness in many ways. That's looking for a kickback in the here and now. 
If we're following Jesus' example of hospitality, we will be hospitable to those who are in lowly positions or places of importance. Those who can't necessarily offer what the world values. I have a friend who's a pastor in Asheville, North Carolina. And he has a son who is severely disabled and in a wheelchair. And every year they take a family retreat in the mountains with Johnny Erickson Tata Ministries. And it's a retreat that's geared towards families that have uh, members of the family who are disabled. And a while ago, this is a few years back now, he posted a picture on Instagram of their time together at this retreat. And kids were out of wheelchairs and on horses. Families were dressed up in costume. It just was an amazing week of fun and fellowship. And he posted one picture of a worship service that they had while they were there. And it's a picture full of wheelchairs and distorted bodies and people that the world doesn't pay much attention to, to be honest with you. And he posted this beautiful picture of these people smiling and worshiping. And under the picture, you know, where you can put a caption on Instagram, he wrote, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. It's beautiful. As followers of Jesus, we should be seeking to welcome those who are not in the inner ring. The weak, the bored, the struggling, the cynical, the disconnected. And as we see these people fill our homes, actually walk through our doors and come to church, here's the thing. We will not count that as a problem to be dealt with, but a success to be celebrated. When we're actually extending that type of warm hospitality to those that need it. So the question you've got to ask yourself this morning is what resources has God given you to bless others with? To bring refreshment to the life of other people? We can draw people into a deep experience with God through our resources. Sure, our money, but also our home, our counsel, our time, our presence, our church. And it doesn't normally look like a big event. We're going to have one of those later today, and hopefully it's a ton of fun, and we're able to invite some friends that we don't know yet. But normally, it looks like repetitive showing up in other people's life, listening over a cup of coffee, an invitation to share a meal during your lunch break at work. Now, I understand that we are just scratching the surface on the howl of hospitality this morning. We could talk for, for minutes and minutes on end, but we need to move on this morning to give some attention to the why of hospitality. There's lots of reasons that we could list for why we should practice hospitality, but there is one major overriding reason why we should be the most hospitable people that our friends and our neighbors know. And it it should not even be a contest. And it's because hospitality is consistent with our experience of the gospel. It's consistent with how Jesus has related to us. Ultimately, we welcome other people with open-handedness and grace because that's exactly how God has welcomed me. In this vein, God's people, they're given a unique motivation to compel their hospitality towards strangers. You see the motivation outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 10 in your bulletin there, where at the end of it we read, Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So God gives us a unique motivation for being hospitable, and it is completely gospel-driven. It's not to earn His love. It's a response to the hospitality that we've already received from God Himself. We're supposed to remember how we were once outsiders, how we were strangers, how we were sojourners in the wilderness of life, so to speak. 
In other words, you were the weary wanderer and you would have died out there, but God clothed you, he fed you, and eventually he brought you home so that you were no longer a stranger. He says, I brought you home. I welcomed you. And God reminds us that if you have been saved by my grace, then you are the recipients of life-giving hospitality at my own expense. God's spiritual hospitality. Therefore, because you were strangers and you were aliens and you were weary wanderers and God saved you with this hospitality, with his welcome, now turn around and do others. Do the same thing. And that is a powerful motivation for us that can last despite how we feel in any given season of life. It reminds me of a story I ran across this week from Mockingbird magazine telling the story of a gentleman named Rabbi Michael Weiser. Rabbi Weiser, who moved from New York City to take a job at a synagogue in Lincoln, Nebraska. And almost immediately after moving to Lincoln, he gets an anonymous phone call from a voice that says simply, you'll be sorry you ever moved into that house, Jew boy. Within a few weeks, a package filled with racist material arrives at his house with a business card from the Ku Klux Klan that read, the KKK is watching you, scum. Well, it didn't take long for Rabbi Weiser to figure out who the perpetrator was. Larry Trapp was notorious in the community as a white supremacist. But it's what the rabbi did next that uh, is most baffling. He figured that it might be a good idea to reach out to Larry and see if he could get him to talk. And so every week, right before the rabbi would teach his bar mitzvah lessons, he would call Larry Trapp and leave him uh, what he called love notes on his answering machine. He would call and say things like, Larry, there's a lot of love out there and you're not getting any of it. Well, after several months of the rabbi calling Larry, Larry finally picked up the phone and demanded, why are you calling me? You're hassling me. The rabbi responded, I just want to talk to you. And Larry asked, what do you want to talk about? The rabbi answered, I hear you're disabled and you might need a ride to the grocery store. To which Larry said, I've got that covered, don't call me anymore. Well, here's the shocking thing. The rabbi kept calling. Until one Sunday evening, Larry Trapp called Rabbi Weiser back. And it seemed that Larry had broke. And he told the rabbi that he wanted to be done with his life of vitriolic hatred And the next week, the rabbi tells the story of actually going and helping Larry clear his home of all the hateful material that it contained. He and Rabbi Weiser gradually became friends over the months, and that would have been amazing enough if the story had ended there, but it didn't stop there. When Larry began to have kidney failure later in life, the rabbi's wife, Julie, suggested that they take him into their home. The same man who had threatened their children had moved into their daughter's bedroom. Julie gave up her job in order to take care of Larry full-time, and he lived in their house for nine months before he died of that kidney failure. And he said that when Larry died, it felt as though they had lost a member of the family. And the point of the story is that hospitality might look a lot like extending love and welcome to all the Larry traps who hate us and showing them just how loved they are. And the article ends with these words. Because the terrible and wonderful thing about Jesus 
is that he offers us only limitless love and unprecedented forgiveness. He tracks down our telephone numbers and leaves us voicemail after voicemail. Jesus shows up in our lives and gathers all the vestiges of sin and heartache and he takes them on himself. And just like the good Rabbi Weiser and his wife Julie did for Larry Trapp, Jesus Christ welcomes us into his home and he calls us his family. Look, we love and extend hospitality to others because it's exactly what we've received from the hand of God himself. Hospitality arises from a grateful heart. It's a response to God's welcome to us. You have received amazing hospitality at the hand of Jesus. He loved us when we were more than just strangers. He loved us while we were still enemies, the scriptures say. When our hearts were set against Jesus, when we hated him, when we worked against his purposes in this world and in our life, Jesus continued to love us. And not only did he love us with word, he also loved us with deed. He gave himself for us. Amazing hospitality, the perfect picture of love for a stranger. The New Testament is constantly saying that Jesus is the ultimate host. Just read the pages. John chapter 13, Jesus washes his friend's feet. In John chapter 14, he tells his friends that he's going to prepare a place for them in his father's home. In John chapter 2, he's the Lord of the feast, turning water into wine, the master of the banquet. He's always feeding people on the pages of the Gospels. 5,000 people, 4,000 people. Why is he doing this? Well, because he is the ultimate host. And ultimately, it's his radical hospitality that is going to heal all of our weariness and satisfy all of our heart's desires. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the hospitality that we have received at your hand. And Lord, we pray that as we engage and enjoy that hospitality more and more, that it would cause hospitality to arise out of our own hearts and lives. Lord, you have loved us so well. You have sacrificed beyond comprehension so that you might bring us into your home, so to speak, so that you might welcome us. And we pray that that thought, that that good news would make us a hospitable people, both individually and corporately. We pray this for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.